Welcome to On The Ledge Podcast. I'm Jane Peroni, your host, and we're here to chat about houseplants. What could be better? This week is a little bit different because I am bringing you a recording that I made at the London Urban Garden Show a week ago today with two special guests, Alice Fowler and Rob Stakovitz. We discussed everything from composting your pants to bioluminescence in our chat in front of a lovely audience of houseplant enthusiasts at the show. And I got to meet a few of you too. I met the lovely ladies from Green Rooms Market. That's Annie and Gemma. And I also met Bobby Ho, who is a listener and tweeter. And I told him some secrets about what's coming up on the show. So that's what happens if you come to an On The Ledge event. You get extra interesting tidbits. So there. Now, I won't keep you too long before going into the recording because that's what we're all here for. But I just wanted to give a shout out to the many... Well, how many are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yes, the nine new patrons who have joined me on Patreon since I last recorded an episode two weeks ago. That's Naomi, Rachel, Tara, Anat, Paulina, Eva, Shannon, Emily and Emily. Yes, there's two Emilys in the group. So thank you so much for pledging your support to On The Ledge with a $5 or more donation, which means that these lovely folk get access to my exclusive extra episodes. And I've been doing all kinds of exciting things like asking them what they want to hear in upcoming episodes of An Extra Leaf. That's my exclusive Patreon content. And I've also been showing them a little sneak preview of a draft of my new logo coming soon and getting their feedback, which has been fantastic. So if you fancy joining the inner circle of On The Ledge listeners, it's only going to cost you five bucks a month. That's about, well, a cup and a half of coffee at your local coffee shop. So it's a good investment in the show. Do remember, if you are a Patreon subscriber, to add your mailing address because I am sending out a little Christmas Greetings to my Patreon subscribers this Christmas. So if you haven't added your address already, please do do that. I will add a little note in the show notes on how you can get that done. It's pretty easy, just requires a couple of clicks. So do add your mailing details. Also, one other piece of housekeeping. I'm looking for people who want to talk about their massive plant collections and the stress and anxiety and as well as the joys and the pleasures that that brings for an upcoming episode I'm doing looking at when does a big plant collection turn into a problem. In that episode, I'm talking to somebody who deals with hoarding on a professional basis for some advice, but I'm also looking to talk to people who are having problems with their collection, finding that it's all getting a bit too much and wondering whether they need to scale things down just to find out exactly how you're feeling, what you're planning to do and whether there's anything we can all do to try to make sure that our plant collections bring us pleasure rather than pain. So if you think that's you, do drop me a line to ontheledgepodcast.gmail.com. You can be anonymous if you prefer it's absolutely up to you so do drop me a line if you'd like to appear on that episode 
let's delay no further and crack on with the recording. There was quite a lot of background noise at the show, which we've had to kind of dampen out. But I think you can still get a great taste of the event and what happened and the wise words of Alice and Rob. Well, hello there, everybody. Um, I've just realised, and this is a bad timing, that I really I should have brought my podcast music to introduce the show to start. For those of you who listen to the show, that will be your cue to think, oh, yes, it's on the Ledge podcast. But sadly, I've only just thought that just now. So um, apologies for that. Um, If you can't hear, I'm afraid there is a lot of background noise. So if you can't hear me, there are seats at the front please come a bit further forward um, because we can't do an awful lot about the outside sound uh, uh, out there. So please do come forward if you can't hear me, but I'm hoping that uh, my rather loud voice will be heard. Um, So hello and welcome to the first ever live recording of On The Ledge podcast. I'm very excited uh, to be doing this today. I'm a bit bit, bit shocked though, because normally it's about 10.30 at night, I'm in my pajamas with a, you know, I haven't washed. I've got a cup of tea by my side. I'm editing madly, uh, trying to get the podcast ready. So it's a little bit strange to be sitting here recording a podcast, vaguely clean, wearing clothes. So bear with me, bear with me. Um, if you've never listened to On the Ledge, uh, it's a podcast where we treat houseplants a bit like rock stars. You know, they're thrilling, they're addictive, and they're a little bit dangerous. When I started doing this podcast back in February last year, I had a hunch that houseplants, so long neglected by the mainstream gardening world, were about to get big, very big. And the kid who got nicknamed Botany at school because they were the weirdo who had a bedroom full of plants, that's me by the way, uh, was suddenly and unexpectedly in the right place with the right peperomia. And making a hot podcast about houseplants, um, I've discovered that there are lots and lots of other people just like me who are madly in love with houseplants. Um, and I think some of you are here today. So thank you very much for taking the time to come and listen to On The Ledge. And I'm joined today by two fantastic guests. I know they're fantastic because they've been on the show before. Um, on my right, I have Alice Fowler, who is gardening, gardening, this is, I can't say this. <laughs> yeah, we should be, uh, we should, this by now. We've been saying this for years. Gardening columnist of The Guardian. Thank you. Yes, I will take that alcoholic drink. Um, <laughs> also author of um, a wonderful houseplant book called Plant Love and a uh, friend and former colleague of mine. And on my left, I have Rob Stakovitz, who is a horticulturist extraordinaire, edgy garden wow, designer, man who always has his finger on the pulse of what's Amazing. going on in the houseplant world. I'm really flattered. Guys, I try to flatter my guests. Um, So just a bit of housekeeping before we start talking to our guests. Um, If you haven't listened to On The Ledge, then any pod app of choice, you'll be able to download it. Just look for this. Um, Although I'm getting a new thumbnail soon, so this won't be what it's going to be. But for the moment, it's this. Um, And you can also listen on my website, janeperone.com, and find out more about the stuff I do. There'll be some time for questions at the end. So if you've got a question about anything we've talked about, or indeed a question about a poorly Swiss cheese plant or a cactus that's looking a bit peaky, then please do save those up for the end. Um, But let's start with Alice, my lovely friend Alice. Um, I'm having a panic attack actually, because I've just realized that I've left my Begonia Luxurians 
outside. Not only is it outside, it's in the bucket of water because it's very dry. I'm like, the first thing I do when I get home is going to be run out, get that plant and bring it inside. This time of year, it is a bit of a test for us yeah. houseplant lovers. It's the- so totally like that. You manage to push a whole bunch out for the summer and you suddenly have a nice interior that's not like got mealy bugs all over the walls and like aphids climbing up everywhere. And now they all have to come back in. And I have been doing exactly that. But I will say this about that begonia. It's tough. Well, it's tougher than it looks. We've talked about this begonia before because I have such an issue with it. And the last thing you said to me about it was, Jane, it's hungry. You need to repot it regularly. And I realized, I recalled your words about that uh, about a month ago. And I did repot yeah. it and it started yeah, actually exactly. growing. So I'm really, really happy that it survived. And let's just see if I can get it through the winter now, as long as it's still alive by the time I get home. We shall see. Yeah, it is, it's a tricky one. Uh, what's your kind of plant count? How many plants will you be having inside? Oh, my plant count in the house is over 100 at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's and in fact so much so that I was cycling down the high street and from the corner of my eye I saw one of those like you know the helter skelter cactus I don't know which one it is you know oh, the one I'm talking about which, yeah yep. which like everybody is really into and I could see that they were selling it for a tenner which is incredibly <gasps> cheap for that and I almost like oh my I, like literally breaks of the bike <laughs> I was like oh, only ten pounds and I was like well, where am I going to put that. I'm some glad of you these, s- uh, yeah, some of these uh, cacti can take really low temperatures over the winter if they're kept dry. So that's when your houseplant uh, addiction gets worse when you start yes. bringing plants in just so that they can be kept dry yes. over winter. Almost dead. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, sort of in a in a unheated porch yeah. or you know if that space hasn't already been taken yes. up by other plants. The reality is though, in my terrace like terrace houses, that I've got three decent windows and two you know okay but they're gonna be really sad at the end of the winter so i have taken to um this year what i've done is gone around and got chimney um the chimney stacks you know the the pot that went on top of the chimney so that i can get more layers in because that's the way i'm going to get around my windows so i'm going for height I like it. That sounds like a thrifty alternative to the, the well, plant stand. I go into lights in December. I start putting up lights for the rest of them because I don't know how you successfully get through if you don't supplement with lights. Yeah, I think that's the way I'm going. Having done an episode now on grow lights, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm ginned up and I need to get cracking with they're the grow so lights. They're so cheap as well now. Like they're, and they're not necessarily that those um, LED ones and they're not that ugly either you know you used to have to have this big it looked like you were growing pot essentially <laughs> it said to all your neighbours this person's growing pot in their front room but now they're you know bespoke and quite attractive I've bought all my grow lights from Ikea um, yes hopefully I'm allowed to mention you're them. allowed yeah. to mention Ikea they're, they're so cheap and the yeah. the problem I find is that when I've been to Ikea recently I was a bit worried that maybe they'd stop doing the lights because they're selling these lights, but they're just shining them on um, micro herbs and mm. things like that, which don't look so cool. You know, if you mm. if you have a if you're sort of in the city, you want to have lights that are growing like some magical, amazing, exotic plant. Uh, so I think if they change their tack, then we'd still be able to get grow lights from them in the future. Yeah, I think we'll grow lights are, are going to be an important feature in the coming months to yes, get me yeah, through absolutely. 
uh, coming along with a, one of those sad lights as well for yeah. my own personal. That's my own personal grow light. Your own grow light. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> well, it's very necessary. Um, I kind of feel like sometimes when you're bringing in these plants, it's kind of like those kind of awkward members of your family that you've kind of been ignoring and, and because they just sulk too much and they're just being really irritating and suddenly they've come to visit and they're right in your face and just you're just thinking I don't know if I can live with you all the winter long it's um it's a moment where there may be some culling and I always try to say to people you know it's okay yeah throw away to the, throw things yeah, away I, I mean can you compost. guys just confirm this for me that you don't have to keep that stick everybody keeps a stick though but you should more people should compost it's also yeah. a, a good idea when you're bringing your house plants in and you realize you have too many to give them away to people yeah. <laughs> that is a really that's a really excellent idea yeah. I know I've been doing christmas that. presents everyone yeah. gets a house plant free free side order of mealy bugs that's yeah. absolutely fine i don't know what it says about me but i'm actually really bad at doing that because i feel i know like, i've been to your house and <laughs> so i didn't come back with any house plants but yeah no you do have to well and also i think now I'm much better at just saying right I'm going to cut back than going in as a much smaller reduced thing but it is a complicated thing between the aesthetics of your household and the reality of the household yeah indeed especially when you're living with other people who don't necessarily love plants in the same way that you do exactly if I can tell you my uh, growing up story I had uh, I had this sort of passion for exotic plants and house plants and so they'd be outside during the summer and they'd all grow beautifully I bring them inside and um, I wasn't allowed to put house plants anywhere else in the house they had to be in my bedroom and I would find uh, I, I would start going to sleep at night and I just hear the worms crawling around in the house plant compost uh, making their way through and then you'd find the odd snail halfway across the carpet but it's all part of the fun well, I think we were separated at birth <laughs> I had a big glo- uh, fish tank that was um, because I didn't have access to any houseplant compost I just basically dug a load of soil out of the garden that had a lot of worms mm. in the bottom of it it, it was yeah. also the errant slug that has left, left a slime trail yes. across yeah. your carpet yeah. that you yeah. were like yeah. you spent oh, all well. winter looking for okay. yes shared experiences yeah I think you know we've we bonded here we've bonded here um <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to uh, another subject, uh, my ever uh, overactive mouth. On the podcast, I think I caused a bit of consternation recently when I described the fiddle leaf fig as coarse. And I really it was a bit mean about this plant. And yet, and yet, it's such an iconic plant. It's all over Instagram. You know, every other Instagram picture is a white room with a fiddle leaf fig <laughs> next to a sofa in a basket. Yes. <laughs> Is that, am I right? Right. So I just wanted to check with you guys, am I dead to you because of this? Or are yeah. you, is it okay to kind of diss the fiddle leaf fig? I think it's okay to diss. I mean, there's also the funny thing about houseplants is what would be naff anywhere else is suddenly strangely acceptable when it's in a good ceramic pot. It's a, it's a straight, like you're, you are endlessly in the taste kind of, taste continuum, kind of having to, um, I love variegated. I mean, like, come on, variegated is not good, but in a house plant, it is a thing of great beauty. So, yeah, I, I did a I did a question time thing recently, and one of the other people on the panel, who was an RHS expert, um, recommended ver- the variegated form of um, uh, fragrant jasmine. Yeah. 
Aww. and everyone else on the panel was literally went <gasps> and it was absolutely horrifying it made me realize how in the outdoor plant yeah. world variegation is really quite yes often it's seen in a very so, negative way that variegated jasmine is ugly yeah no I'm, uh, you know i mean i'm totally trackless people, people can varied. if i can interject with uh variegated plants i think people get very sniffy about certain plants and I think um, this is where you need to start pushing the boundaries a bit and look at plants and uh, realize that there's sort of a plant for every place. Uh, you know, every plant has their place, whether or not um, it's in the bin is another question. But I think most, like almost every plant in the right scheme, in the right setting can look really, really good. And it's just thinking about that. Except for that variegated jasmine. <laughs> I think you can you can find a place for for, for that. I, I, I want to know what you feel about because I realise that I've only come to this off Instagram, but I'm quite into training your climbers up your your interior wall. How do you guys feel about that? Like the little stick on. I feel good about it. I haven't done it, but I, I, I feel good about it. But I just I just did something very inventive with some fishing wire. Oh, I've done exactly the same thing. I've got a floating pot on my window using fishing wire. Yeah. It looks cool. Yeah. But do you so think... It's is pushing it, the boundaries, isn't it? it is it going to be a mistake? Like, what I keep thinking about is knowing these plants and knowing what this is going to do. Is it going to be a mistake? Am, am I going to regret my... Like, what, what could possibly go wrong, Alice? Oh, 101 mealybugs. <laughs> the thing is, we have to try these different things to, to see what works and, and figure out whether it whether it's a goer yeah. and then we can start telling everyone oh you need to do this because <laughs> it's the best way of like showing the plant off and I think it's good in that it's kind of out of the way isn't it I mean I have a lot of trailing plants that are just you know my daughter said to me the other day eventually mum I'm gonna have to be like pulling my way through this like it's a jungle and I said well yeah that's the idea dear but she you know yeah. if it was against a wall it would be taking up less room I guess and be more you know, as an accident-prone person, I'm always worried that I'm going to be bringing a pot of string of pearls down <laughs> on my head, which is, you know, it's worrying. Which is I think that's, if it's, it's real. If it's if it's the best way of showcasing the plant, then I don't see why you can't have it growing up a wall. Yeah, I think it's it's yeah. it's all up for grabs. Let's just talk a little bit, Rob, about your wonderful installation here at the show. It's in the other yes. hall. Yes. Um, Bioluminescence. This was something kind of at the edge of my consciousness that you've now brought centre stage. Yes. Tell me a bit about bioluminescence in plants and what you were trying to do in this installation. Okay, well, uh, bioluminescence is found across um, uh, uh, across nature with there's um, phosphorescent algae in warm, wa warm sea water, there's um, uh, fungi that glow in the dark. Uh, my um, so there, there's a, sort of iridescence as well, and uh, my display is just using uh, UV to bring out um, uh, an interesting glow from things that you wouldn't otherwise realize would glow. Um, uh, humans uh, don't see UV light uh, unless under a black light, uh, but birds and insects see UV. So uh, it's used a lot, um, well, uh, in insects, bees are attracted to flowers because of the UV uh, patterns, uh, birds as well. Um, actually, one of the things that uh, I have spoken to a few people about uh, at the RHS was um, uh, 
Budrigars are actually UV reactive, wild Budrigar, because they can see that spectrum of light. Uh, and uh, the RHS wouldn't let me put budgies in my display. Damn! Well, that was what a letdown! I know. Oh, no, well. I know. Um, but uh, of the plants I have on my display, there's only really one that glows strongly under UV light, and it's a little. Um, it's called uh, peacock spike moss, which is uh, Selaginella uncinata, uh, and it's a very small plant that you'd be able to grow in any home because it's so small. I mean, ideally in a terrarium, but um, it's uh, it's quite a tough little plant, relatively easy to get hold of. Um, I actually got mine from a nursery in Holland, but um, I think it's a plant that has a lot of potential, especially now you can get these little um, UV spotlights, which I showed you earlier, um, uh, which you can buy for under 10 pounds and shine this onto the plant and it just highlights this this sort of, um, it gives it looks like bioluminescence, but it's just reacting to the UV light spectrum. That is way cool. I'm one of the plants in your display uh, that have some elements of bioluminescence. Apart from, are there any others apart from the Selaginella that we could be growing? Uh, there are not really any others, Darn. but I just think <laughs> you know, when we talk about showing plants off mm. at their best. I think we can do certain things and tweak things um, to make a boring plant much more interesting. So uh, uh, you can put some UV pigment over your plant with a UV um, uh, uh, light over it, and I mean that could double up as sort of an interesting Christmas decoration, maybe, or you know, it's just just sort of thinking outside the box and doing something a bit crazy and wild. I am loving that idea. I think that's fantastic. And it is amazing what plants can do. I was reading the other day about uh, plants that have Begonia maculata whitei, which has the silver discs. I'm not sure if this is a confirmed theory, but one idea I think is that that's actually the plant basically um, mimicking leaf miner damage so that leaf miners go, oh my gosh, that plant's already been totally destroyed by my friends. I'm not going to go there. So it gets away from, uh, it saves itself from being destroyed, which is that, is that true? Is that, can that uh, be, a, or is that just a botanist theory? I think it's a, theory? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a theory that, uh, I mean, humans are very good at creating theories about things. <laughs> true. But I think that's, quite quite an accurate one and uh, has anyone ever asked you why does Swiss cheese plants have holes in the leaves? I I have spent many hours wondering this <laughs> I have indeed I mean I had you know I anyone who uh, listens to the podcast aroids and the weirdness of aroids you know I spent many hours trying to figure out the difference between Monstera obliqua and Monstera adansonii two other members of the Monstera family to the point of reading academic papers I'm no further forward I still can't really tell you the answer so but... well the theory is the same as your one with the begonia right. is that um, and with a lot of the calatheas with the different patterns mm. on the on the leaves um, it's to break up the outline of the leaf so it looks as though it's been attacked already so it confuses the insects they don't realize that there's actually an entire full leaf there waiting mm. to be eaten so that it's the plant's way of tricking the insects oh okay i heard another theory which was okay. that it was to do with and i it was to do with light and it totally i couldn't it was way beyond my skill set but it, it was it gets bigger as the, they get more pronounced as they go up yeah so it's letting light to the next one down so the bottom ones are supposed to be more whole 
Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I see. they, they, it's like if you think it's like a solar panel, then they've got their solar panel completely out, and the one above is like shutting down one side so the light can get to the one below. I think there's sort of a, a bit of both, and if only we could ask the plants themselves. I know. But I, I know in heirloom lilies, for a long time there was a theory that all those white splodgy, particularly on the, mm. you know, like the giant heirloom lily, was so that to a lot of predators from the distance it would read like they had lichen growing on them which would suggest that they were a woody plant and not a green plant and therefore not that good to eat so if you were a herbivore and you're coming through and you think oh that's must have bark just reading it really quickly because such a big fleshy appendage is, is you know a huge amount of effort and if a herbivore eats it in one go so that was a good. That is. Who knows? Who, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, I guess you know, from the point of view of the of us, the begonia damage. I mean, if that's leaf miner damage, I want some more leaf miners because that looks amazing, right? But I mean, it doesn't really be, look like that. No, though, I was going to say, yeah, I'm when you sure actually you see, that's what where I'm doubting yeah. the theory because you know I've seen leaf miner damage on other plants and it's not really that nice, is it? Yeah, I think but. the thing is the plant makes it look good whereas the insect makes it look worse yeah I think we were on something there I have to say though but begonia maculata whitey eye has been driving me nuts in in love nuts uh, or... in, in annoyance that I you know like again it's one of these plants you see on Instagram and you just see this gorgeous green sort of long elongated yeah. shield shape with these beautiful and just looking at it and it would always be deep green and then I'd look at mine and it was this shriveled Pale yes, they've yellow. just bought it. They've literally just bought it and then taken a picture. But I've got—I found the answer though. What? I have found the answer, which is—and again, uh, anyone who listens to the show regularly is probably bored to death with this. But wick watering. Oh my god, wick watering is just perfect mm-hmm. for this plant. So just having a container below filled with water and then a um, some kind of. Uh, well, I use the stuff that you get. This is really mundane, but you know, if you get a gift bag the string that the sandals are made of like that that man-made thread is great you just make a wick out of that stick it into the water and then stick it into the bottom of the pot and my begonia maculata whitey eye is finally looking instagrammable and it's awesome <laughs> and i'm just realizing this is a good solution for all these plants so i yeah. just have a very tough love like you either love me or you don't and if you don't love yeah. me you're out no no toxic relationships in my life that's very healthy that's very healthy and you i mean as a woman who composts her pants i know that you know you have a place for these dead house yes, plants to I go yes i do yeah that way <laughs> how quickly you help do they break down i do you ever find like the husks of dead house plants in your oh, compost oh i thought you were talking about my pants oh no well i mean we can come back to the pants um yeah you know what the the that like non peat free root ball yeah. never nothing it's really interesting how little in the compost wants to go into that so it remains as this like which just shows that and actually one thing I feel that as houseplant people we need to get much better with particularly with Ikea who's the biggest seller of houseplants in the world is demanding that they get grown in peat free compost because at the moment the majority of what we're buying is grown in peat and is grown with a lot of um, pesticides and that's where we need to move the industry forward because we don't accept this stuff in our other plants or in our vegetables that we're eating and yet we're bringing in these house plants which are grown in not good conditions. I um, mix a lot of loam in with my house plant compost because I find often the the stuff you find house plants growing in just dries out so yeah, quickly yeah. Um, and I also like to um, when we were talking about ficus lyrata earlier, uh, 
plant things in really big pots mm. and plant arrangements of plants mm. because I think the, like that's the, yeah, the yeah yeah it's nice nice to sort of um, almost have like a, a garden border inside the pot but then you're growing plants that you really love to have close to you you know the house plants that you really love you can sort of arrange in a artistic way and so ficus lyrata I'd love to see those planted in their baskets but with loads of other underplantings uh, asparagus ferns or something mm. would be so tough and easy and just give a really good contrast with the um, big blocky leaves of the ficus and hopefully that if you don't have a lot of bare compost out mm. there a if you've got a cat or something that's kind of like or children that are like rooting around that's kind of solves that yeah, problem too. yeah you don't want to look at bare soil or yeah and also it's nice to sort of um uh, cover cover up soil not have um stones and things just be able to water it more easily what other plants make good understory for those bigger specimen plants what else can you put it oh in? um under under i've got a big philodendron that i grew from seed about 10 years ago he's showing off it's now you, yeah, he grew his philodendron yeah, yeah, from yeah. Seed. it's just grown really what philodendron big. is it uh Siloam, but it was okay. supposed to be a hybrid one and i'm not okay. sure if it is the hybrid one but anyway, it grows, it grows really fast and it's growing like this little trunk, about a foot tall. And underneath that I've got bromeliads, tradescantia, uh, ferns, um, quite, quite a few things just like packed in. But I think as, um, as enthusiasts we need to push the boundaries a bit more and do things that other people aren't doing. You know, so that houseplants continue to be trendy, and, you know, because otherwise just having well, we spoke about this in the summer with James Wong. When you have like a few different plants in the same pot, like Alice says, they like friends. So it's nice to grow lots and you can get more in a small space too. Yeah, I have to say after that visit to James that you mentioned, I did it did make me change my approach and I have got a few troughs going now, some more successful than others. I've got one with a Tradescantia spadacea which is going absolutely insane and then I've and the poor sort of other things in there are really not doing very well but I've got one which is just perfect and is doing so well and plants that were really doing poorly before are just thriving. I mean you know uh, very um, controversially no drainage but Mm. again as long as you don't water it too much, it seems to be doing fine. I'm crossing my fingers here. Sorry, this is not very podcasty, yeah, but I'm crossing yeah, my fingers yeah. because I'm hoping I can get it through yeah. the winter. But it's nice, nice when uh, because if you have an ind- individual pots, you don't know if you're doing something wrong. But when they're all together, one will grow really well, the other one will grow slowly. But at least you yeah. know that you're getting something right. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I think it's kind of fun even for a kind of non-visual person like me to try to match up plants and find what works together um it, it's good it's great fun alice i did want to ask you i must get get a question in here about some edibles you're are you president of the herb society i am have you got a hat or something? Do you have a, a sprig of rosemary in your cap or something? As a you know? Oh, it... no, I'm going to demand that when yeah. I see them. You a badge, definitely baby. are. Oh, no, I don't even that. have a badge. It's a lovely society. It's um, it's started up in 1927. Wow. Well, I wanted to ask you about this because I, there's always you know whenever you read yeah. gardening articles, oh, pot up herbs and bring them inside, and that never works for me. No. I bring them inside and they just look miserable and then they die. Yeah. And I, think, I mean, you can am continue, I doing something wrong? No, through the winter, you can definitely continue your windowsill with basil, 
and you can grow, you know, micro leaves of, of parsley and whatnot, but a rosemary does not want to come indoors with you ever. No. So just don't bring it in. Also, I'm you comforted. Know, rosemary thyme, they all have big root balls and they do not want to live in a small pot like this. So if you're putting them in a small pot, that's the other reason why they don't look good. Um, but, you know, this like stuff like coriander, basil, parsley, those kind of things you can grow as microgreens all I mean you can definitely grow basil all year round just as a kind of you know as seedlings that sprout and then you cut them and then you sow again but nothing really well I mean the winter is hard we know that for houseplants so it's even harder for something that really wants a long a long day I feel greatly comforted that it's not just me uh, however you can force mints which is a nice thing to do so if you have mint growing in your garden in about January, you can scrabble around and find some of the roots. If you have it in a pot, you know, mint wants to endlessly grow out like this. So when it gets to the edge of the pot, grows around, 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 you can grab some of the mint root, literally just rip some mint roots, pot them up in a, you know, something that you can keep on your windowsill in some nice green growth and it will sprout again. And so you can get an early load of fresh green mint for a kind of January mojito because it's a bit depressing and life would be better with some fresh mint. <laughs> that is an awesome idea. Now, I, I'm asking everyone this question now and uh, I, I was going to compile this into a Christmas special, but I'm going to ask you now anyway and it can go out in this because I want to know, uh, Plant Santa is coming this Christmas to bring you your houseplant desires. And what I want to know is what... How, it could be a houseplant, could be a could be a piece of equipment... What are you hoping to get in the indoor gardening realm okay, so for Christmas? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm doing this for myself. So I'm about to go to Japan next week, and I'm actually taking, because I just read on my flight that it said I could have two bags. I'm taking a spare bag just for because in Japan houseplants are massive. They love small, cute things, and they make the most beautiful, like hand-thrown uh, sauces which are just very simple, beautiful glaze, um, unglazed underneath. They are so, and I am filling my suitcase full of them as presents for everybody else. So it's a bit of a kind of niche thing, but oh my God, have they got, I mean, it's exciting walking around the show today because one of the things I really want to push is people, you know, there's so many good ceramicists out there making wonderful stuff. You don't have to have a mass produced pot. You can have, a beautiful like just walking around the show tonight there are some lovely lovely pots out there and I think going to Japan made me realize how much more of an art that should be not only a beautiful house plant but in a really beautiful pot what are you going to Japan to do? Are you going for a holiday? Sorry, no, I'm getting going, a bit personal here, but I'm just ceramic to, shopping. Yeah, yeah ceramic shopping. Okay. Ceramic shopping is high up on the list. I'm, uh, I'm going. I'm doing a tour of Japanese gardens. I'm teaching Japanese, the history of Japanese gardens. Oh my god, I want to be you, Alice. That sounds awesome. Okay, Rob, you're up. What What is Santa bringing you? Uh, well, in the ideal world, um, I there are some plants that don't need pots and those are the uh, air plants and uh, I don't know if you've seen I'm not sure he's exhibited as a few shows um, Andy Gavin who's got a display beautiful display of um, uh, Tillandsias and uh, Neurogelias various bromeliads growing on um, 
these upright um, tree trunks. They look so good. He's made a really nice display with sort of the moss along the bottom. And I could take that entire display and just have it across my uh, entire windows. That's what I could do with. Okay, and would you have it? Would you would you want just the equipment to put it together yourself, or would you want it pre? I'm just checking so Santa gets it right. Yeah. What is it going to be pre-done and displayed, or do you just yeah, want pre-done. the raw materials? <laughs> just pre-done. Okay, okay. Yeah, 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 that's fine. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. I'm yeah. sure we can fit that into the sleigh. Yeah, yeah great. Um, <laughs> I I haven't actually thought of the the answer for me actually. Uh, I, want, I want the cutting of your variegated um, Swiss cheese bar. Oh yes! Can I, be, can I be first on the list? You can be first on this, Sal. It's just because it's you. You okay. can. Well, I was thinking the other day that I that I've got two. I've got two of these Thai constellation monstera deliciosas, and I'm feeling very selfish. That I know lots of people are looking for these plants and you know desperate to have one, and I've got two. So I was thinking of maybe giving one away, selling one. I'm not sure. Or but my plan at the moment is to grow them up. So they're big enough to take cuttings and then take a load of cuttings and then at least for people in the UK, have a little bit of a lottery for my listeners to send out uh, some of these cuttings for listeners. So uh, yes, you're, you can be top of the list, Alice, that's fine. Um, they are lovely plants. I got them as tiny seedlings and they took a long sexy. time to grow. But when the first one fenestrated, going yes. back to our previous, the first like the first word. holes were just, it was just so exciting. And it was one of those moments where my whole family were looking at me going, <laughs> what are you talking about mum I'm going oh my god there's a hole and I was just checking like as the leaf was still furled and I just saw the outline of a hole I was just got very very excited so yeah these I mean I think the comforting thing for people who don't have one of these yet is if you go and look at a lot of um, spe- very specialist plant uh, people there are a lot of these plants coming they are coming it's like Pilea peperomioides you know yeah. at one point these were 50 pounds a throw or 50 bucks a throw um, and the prices come down and it's the same with this they are you know they're being grown at an enormous rate right now and they will reach us yeah they're coming I'm sure you'll find some more at some point yeah Yeah. I mean so I'm I'm planning to keep mine uh, you know I'll have to try to I mean I do have some plants that I've taken so many cuttings of that they're still tiny which is a bit annoying but um I can't resist giving people cuttings. On that note, I think it's so important. Like, there are some incredible growers in this country, specialist growers of, like, tropical and houseplants and stuff. And it's so easy to get kind of swayed by IKEA's price. But actually supporting those specialist growers is such a big deal because they are the ones who are pushing the forefront of all the nice stuff. So if you can, go to your small supplier who's doing it locally rather than getting something that came from a million miles away and those plants as well t- tend to be they tend to be not mp yeah there's all sorts yeah. of things they which are good about grown, them don't yeah they? exactly um, when you do get a plant so you i don't know you i occasionally i have to admit occasionally go into a supermarket and go oh i must have that one pound peperomia from morrison's i have to have it um is it best to immediately repot that in something decent you know, I mean, is, I mean, not not from an ethical point of view, but from a point of view of the benefit of the plant. Is it, you know, it's had a shock already from being stuck in Morrison's and then in yeah. my house. Is it better to repot immediately, or does it? I don't know. I usually hold things to see how they're going to do in my. I usually give everything like a month or maybe three months, depending on yeah. what it is, to see how it does in my conditions. And then if it doesn't work, that's when I start going right. What do I need to give it? 
I think the other thing about um, buying from those specialists, though, is that you often find that you're buying a much, much smaller plant, which you may think, oh, that's a bit disappointing because it's, you know, it comes and it's like that big. But actually, I think that Dense, gives you... well-grown. Yeah, it's well-grown. It gives you a really good chance to get that plant from a very young age used to your conditions. I mean, I'm always going on about Gisneriads and Dibley's Nursery in North Wales. Yeah. I love buying plug plants from them because they come and they're teeny-weeny, but I know they're going to grow into this really luxurious, lovely uh, streptocarpus or whatever it may be. Um, and that's a wonderful thing if you... And you get that sense of pride as well, like you're with your philodendron role. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I was just going to say on that point, I uh, uh, usually you see um, kentia palms and they're really stretched out. Mm. Like they try and like yeah. stretch them as much as possible so that they get like maximum height. And the next leaf that grows in your living room is sort of, you know, a foot high off the ground from a eight foot plant. Yeah. So... Um, I check eBay occasionally for houseplants. Yeah, I'm sure you probably great. do too. Yeah. Uh, and in particular for my installation, um, I found a uh, Kentia palm that had been hardened up in normal living room conditions. Um, and it was huge. And it was 30 pounds. Five minutes from where I live. We're all rushing to eBay so I, right now, looking for the thing is these things. These things palm. come up because yeah. this palm had taken up sort of half of someone's living room, mm. and now it looks amazing on my installation. Mm. Yeah, that's it's definitely worth looking on eBay and these specialist growers. Also, I love looking for uh, vivarium suppliers. Seem to have fantastic, um, oftentimes tiny little plants uh, that are for, for people's gecko cages or whatever. That actually sometimes you can find some real treasures there. Um, so, yeah, there's plenty of, of, of lovely things coming to us for Christmas by the sound of it. Um, I need to think, I haven't decided what I want. I think, uh, well, I have just bought myself in my classic way, selfish way. I actually just bought myself on eBay a handmade um, copper watering can. Nice. It's very nice. That um, it's got engraved on the bottom, made by somebody or other, and it's it's very lovely. It's all sort of crinkly, one of those crinkly ones. So I think that's going to be my Christmas gift to myself, rather selfishly. So no doubt it'll be on Instagram very soon, so you can look out for that. Um, I think we should probably now give a little bit of time to questions um, because we've, we've 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 talked, we've discussed things, and there may be things that you're, you're desperate to ask. So I throw it over to the audience. Uh, my my lovely microphone uh, lady Letitia is is primed. Do you want to ask the first question, Letitia? Though, because you did say you had one. No, I didn't have one yet. Okay. Anyone else want to ask a question? Come on, somebody. Yes. That's Don't it. be shy. Um, is there a plant that you haven't grown that you would really love to grow, like in your house? Good question. I want one of those spiral serious cacti. I mean, I do really want one of those. Mine did a good amount of growth this year. I'm pleased that. I do um, want one of those. Uh, I in it, so I started off my training growing orchids, and I have rejected them so much so that they don't even absolutely do not even appear in any of my books. My neighbour moved and gave me her houseplants just to look after while she's moving. And she has like one of those really naff cymbidiums. And, and I like was trying to kill it and I've made it bloom. And you know what? It's re like I'm having to um, I'm having to like re look at my ways. I think I'm gonna go into big orchid 
I, as a fellow, I used to be an orchid hater, and I've I've been brought round likewise to yeah. the orchid cause. So I, yeah, I'm going to go into a big, and, a, and in that, I don't know which way I will go. Every which way, I think. The um, the RHS orchid show was amazing yeah. this year. Really, really incredible. Yeah. It it blew my mind. Like, uh, I just have, know it's a slippery slope. Yeah, it's a really slippery slope because you have the entire world of horticulture yeah. and then you have the entire world of orchids which is bigger than the world of horticulture yeah. Yeah. So. okay so that's that's a little sample there what, what about you are there any plants that you would like to uh, have uh, that you don't have well I'm trying to get into more like cacti so I think I'd like some yeah. more different cacti awesome there's always another cactus out there that's the great thing about cacti there's so many okay so with, um, with cacti indoors you want to make sure that they stay quite cool over the winter months. Uh, if you can keep them slightly cooler, um, it slows the growth rate down and they um, also are more likely to flower in the spring once the weather warms back up again. Uh, so that's what really means that you will end up with happy cacti. Okay, anyone else got a question? Come on, somebody's got a... Letitia. I would I would like to. Am I allowed to ask about my fiddle leaf fig or is that not allowed? <laughs> I suppose so. Go on. So can you give me an, a kind of idiot's guide to making it branch out? I know I've got to pinch it at some point and I know it bleeds, but I'm not quite sure when to do it and or whether I should do it at all. How tall is it now? It's as tall as me. So okay. or a bit bigger. I want it to have arms. I want it to have arms, okay. Do you want it to have low down arms or high up arms? Because wherever you pinch it is where it's going to branch out, right? So I, you, want it, I want it to just start a... going out right now. Okay. Because it's up on a stool, so it's almost reaching the ceiling. So but like, if you chop it off at your head height, that's where it's going to branch out. Yeah. But do you want branches lower than that? Because that's basically like, if you can prepare to be brutal, you will get a much better looking plant than if you just chop off its head. So how do I be brutal? Low down. <laughs> really, like just like, but also you could you could use the top bits even right now. You possibly could go away. Do you think you could go away? Spring, I would say. I would wait till spring, spring, yeah. Okay, wait yeah. till spring and then also, do it, then you can get a cutting. I think the nicest branch ones are ones that they've been growing uh, on a Dutch nursery or somewhere in Southeast Asia where they have the climate there, like the the heat and the humidity where they will branch out nice and quickly so so not when you do pinch the top out just make sure you boost the heating up and uh, mist it every day preferably every half hour but i literally just chop the top off yes move it to the bathroom and have lots of showers bathroom yeah and you could presumably root that top if you wanted to you could root that top bit i'm always with like even when it's not the right time to take cutting try taking and cutting you've got nothing to lose and when it roots you can give it to jane she loves them. Thanks. <laughs> I love them too. <laughs> Thank you. Anything else we can help with tonight? Come on, there must be somebody with a burning plant problem. A crispy leaved hoya or a calathea. Okay, just... How do you get a crispy leaved hoya? I don't know actually. I'm making I have had a crispy leaved hoya, but then I'm particularly talented at killing plants. Hello. So I'm growing a, a ficus carica indoors. It's about three foot tall, um, and I managed to get fruit on it this year. Um, so it's now defoliated because it's coming to autumn. But in the last week, it started sprouting again. Mm. 
So, what shall I do with it? I think it's difficult to grow uh, figs indoors. Um, is is it is it uh, heated indoors? Yeah, so it's in a flat. Okay. It's in a south-facing window. Okay. Sorry, you said it's a like a fruiting fig, ficus yeah. carica. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I it's going to live a very. It's it, your your. It's going to live fast, die young, <laughs> because you're basically like speeding up its life cycle. So it dropped its leaves because the light levels have gone low, but then because it's warm, it's gone, oh, it must be spring. Mm. So it's just going to endlessly do that. So if you don't give it a cold period where it can stop growing, it, you're literally just pumping up its life. It's, tr- it's very tricky to grow um, plants that really require temperate climate indoors, uh, not only f- from a temperature point of view, but from light levels as well. So even if, even if you have a temperate plant indoors next to a window um, it's usually too dark for it even if it's sort of quite a bright window ledge they'll struggle so um, I think you need to either find somewhere outside you can keep it or give it away as a gift to someone boot boot it outside you must have somewhere outside you can put it I do I have a balcony so I can put it yeah boot it out it really does need to go out for the winter you're not can I just put it out now yeah just put it out. Yeah. Maybe not Saturday because there's a frost coming. Maybe wait till Sunday. Okay. I mean, I'm... it's going to be quite... Sh- it like thinks it's spring. I'm gonna... We're always trying to push the boundaries, aren't we, with plants and just try something different. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But, you know, it's, the, it's good to experiment. The thing I find is that um, it's, it's... A lot of the time it's finding the conditions for the plants rather than the plant for the conditions. Because you don't just want any plants. You but you also want the plant to be happy. So it's just getting that balance. Exactly. Any more questions? Anyone got anything on the ledge that they want to know about? I'll see more questions. Just slipping that in Suddenly. there. <laughs> Hi. Hi, thank you all for, for coming. I, um, I think that you, you all really embody the spirit of, of houseplants, the houseplant movement. Can we call it a movement? No. <laughs> Working with plants perhaps has changed your lives. I'm wondering if um, you could, if each of you have a, a short story of how you have seen plants perhaps maybe change other people's lives, working with plants. The spirit of plants. That's really interesting. Um, this isn't an indoor plant story, but I know somebody who has set up a um, project at um, uh, working with um, detainees, uh, 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 refugees, detainees, um, and who are obviously under enormous stress and uh, feeling out of place and out of spirits and not knowing what their future holds. And um, she set up a gardening scheme with them and it's immensely difficult on, on every level, actually setting it up, organizing it. But I was I had a communication with her this week and she was saying that the women that are that feel well enough that they are able to come are feeling enormous benefits of just that experience of being outside and actually raising plants that they can then use for cooking Um, and it was really heartening to hear that all the work that she'd been putting in over the past year and a half is starting to pay off and actually these women are able to get some real joy out of growing something and I think that's a reflection of what what plants can do therapeutically for us and particularly as we're going into winter for me having plants in my house 
occasionally they do bring me I can't deny that occasionally they bring me sadness because when something dies I mean I chucked out something today and I just thought I've had enough of you you're out but lots of the times I come downstairs in the morning and I look at my massive coleus that are taking over the desk and I just think oh I'm just makes me happy so I think it's nice to see that um, people who um, have not got their freedom and not got any uh, agency for themselves are able to have some control in this garden space that's been created for them so that's that's one thing that I think is and that's being replicated all around the country with different projects with um, people with PTSD people with anxiety and depression veterans there are schemes all over the country that are harnessing the power of plants to do this kind of thing so um, I think that's really encouraging Alice yeah I mean the the you know growing and being outside is an extraordinary therapy and it's a therapy for all of us you know that's the reality why we love it i've been recently um i've had somebody come to me because their pot plants was not growing well and their, i their, their pot plant their okay. pot plant okay not and, um, not, a, not a plant in a pot no yes. their pot plant um and it reminded me when they came back to me how many amazing head gardeners i know started off because they were interested in growing pot plants and then fell in love with it and in this moment when this person came to me i thought you have the making of an incredible gardener in you that you have come this far with this plant and you understand it's not uh it's not quite right yet and you need to change it you know to get the what you want from it uh, and it, it reminded me how like the introduction to growing plants can come from anywhere and like it can just be that that tiny little succulent on your windowsill or your pot plant or whatever the reality is how you get into them doesn't matter it's when you get there that everybody helps you along because it's a wonderful lifelong passion and it's sort of uh, a quite a wonderful slippery slope because <laughs> once you start descending you you sort of end up in a sort of madness um i i always love to try and recreate the sense of wonder i had when i first um got interested in plants and gardening uh and uh, that's one of the reasons i did my uv display so literally looking at plants from a different under a different light um but um uh sometimes it it can uh it can sort of uh make life decisions which um uh, you just weren't expecting. Uh, one of my friends, uh, Michael Benedito, uh, uh, has just been making a, uh, just just about to start make a, making a botanic garden in Madeira, uh, and he's complete complete plant nuts. And I think to like the average person, uh, what he's doing is just completely insane. But as a plant person, I can sort of. I can relate and see why he really loves what he's doing. But uh, recently he uh, did a uh, crowdfunder to ship over, uh, I think it was uh, something like 2000 uh, Stanhopia orchids, uh, which he's shipping over to Madeira uh, at, at some expense. But um, it's one of these things, once, once, it, once it takes hold of you, it's, uh, it's an amazing, amazing uh, life that you can live through through a love of plants what a great question and are we did we have one last final question before we go or is that we, yes oh well you know uh, this is the, the great cornucopia we don't nothing's trivial i have a pothos i'm not sure which type it is i can't remember now it's variegated 
some leaves are really lovely pure white variegation and other leaves it's always putting out new leaves at the moment every day almost but others are just a kind of slightly uh, lighter greeny yellowy kind of variegation is there any way to make it produce more of the really pure white variegated leaves I'm wary of the pure white variegation because I had a Hoya that started doing that a, a, a variegated <coughs> Hoya carnosa and it started putting out pure white uh, plant, uh, leaves lots of them and it went from being absolutely gorgeous I, Instagram, I was like oh this is amazing and then the next minute it was literally dying 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 and I managed just to save it with one cutting and I think when plants do that it's not good is it Rob? It's the lack of chlorophyll means that it weakens the plants so um, it, there's a very fine balance you want you want there to be a good balance of green and white uh, otherwise uh, the plant will sort of either become weakened or if it gets greener and greener it gets stronger and stronger but then uh, less appealing for some people yeah so maybe just enjoy yeah, it love the green. as it is yeah. love the, love the green yeah, that's a great green. place to end um Thanks so much to my guests, Alice and Rob, tonight and to the RHS for hosting On The Ledge and to my sound person, Lisa, who's worked her magic on the mixes tonight and to all of you for coming along. Uh, may your fiddle leaf figs grow bored and strong and your crotons not drop a single leaf this winter. Thank you very much. enjoyed that recording it was such fun to do and thanks so much to my guests Alice and Rob also many thanks to Letitia McClough who was my wonderful microphone holder she has a wonderful podcast herself it's called The Virgin Gardener and she works with Andrew O'Brien on that I will include a link in my show notes or just look it up in your pod app of choice because it's a fantastic podcast for anyone wanting to know about outdoor gardening Thank you to my wonderful sound person, Lisa Hack, who made sure that everyone could hear and be heard. And thanks to Dario Spagnoli at the RHS and all of the RHS staff for welcoming us to the RHS halls for the show. Now, I think we've just got time for a Q&A to slip in here at the end. And this one comes from listener Anne Wareham, who you may remember from our conservatory episode. Anne wrote to me because she's having a problem with her conservatory windows because they have a filter for UVA on them and she believes this is causing her plants to suffer. When she takes them out to the nursery, they perk up almost immediately. So she's moving them in and out all the time, which is a drag. And she's wondering if there are any plants that will thrive in these conditions and what she can do about it. So I phoned Leslie Halleck, who's our expert horticulturist from Texas in the US, who appeared in our Grow Lights episode to find out the ins and outs of windows and UVA and filters and all that stuff. Well, it's interesting. Um, I, I have known many who have built beautiful glass greenhouses and conservatories, and there's sort of a natural assumption that plants are going to automatically thrive inside a greenhouse or conservatory because that's the visual that's been created for us, right? But but you're essentially changing the environment when you put a plant behind glass inside an enclosed glass greenhouse or conservatory. And glass itself, without any type of film or treatment, 
is going to block a certain amount of your uh, natural light volume that moves into your space. So you can lose with plain glass anywhere from 10% to you know 20% of the the light the amount of light that comes through the glass so you might find that that your plants receive just a bit less light once you place them inside your glass conservatory so that's number 1 um say the glass is dirty, say it's got a little bit of, you know, dust or, 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 or grunge on it, that's going to reduce light to your plants. And then when you start adding in sort of the more modern glass options like low E um, glass or UV filters, you potentially can lose more light volume. Now, regular glass blocks out most UVB light already, um, the, the UV that gives you a sunburn. But you can still get about 75% of UVA uh, come through regular glass. Now, if you have a, a complete UV blocker on that glass, it will block that. But again, it's all the other ways that that glass is constructed or, or maybe it has a color film on it. Some glasses that are used for you know residential conservatories or sunrooms may have a, a tinted filter on it. And that may bounce off some of that blue light or red light that is coming in that your plants need. So, so just putting a uh, piece of glass between, you know, the sunlight and your plants will change potentially the amount of light it gets. And that can be a problem for some plants, uh, for other plants, not so much. Um, and then after that, you've got some temperature changes also that might actually be the culprit for some plants. Oh, that's that is fascinating. So is it possible to know what plants will do better under those kind of conditions where you've got um, light with possibly with filters? Or is it just a question of trial and error and seeing what grows best? It's trial and error, because as you well know, everybody's individual situation has uh, many different organic influences that make their situation unique, right? So what's going to do well in your windowsill behind glass or in a conservatory may be very different based on how much light is actually coming in that space in somebody else's situation, you know. The, the direction of light exposure, the time of year, you know, all of those things come into play. So it's, it's, there's no formula for uh, telling somebody what particular species of plant is going to thrive behind that particular type of glass. You're going to have to do a little trial and error. Um, you get um, heat, right, energy that comes through the window, but glass traps it. It doesn't doesn't go back out. That thermal energy doesn't leave the glass window the same way that it comes in. So you can have a much warmer condition under that glass than you would outside. So sometimes certain plants just don't like the heat that builds up under glass. And so she might be seeing certain plants perk up because when she moves them outside, the temperature changes a little bit and they're probably getting a night drop in temperature that they might not be getting in that glass conservatory. Right. That, well, there's, it's a complicated issue. Um, interestingly, Anne said that what looked great in the conservatory all summer was a pot of hostas. Right. Well, hostas are, you know, for, for me, I live in Texas. Okay. So our sun here <laughs> is a bit of a different of a ball game. Um, and so hostas for me in the garden have to be planted in shady conditions or they just melt. They can't handle uh, full sun conditions. So it makes sense to me that in a, a greenhouse, which maybe she's getting a little less uh, light volume in there, that the hostas would be fine. But yes, you're right. They, they tend to like a, a, a dormancy. 
um, in, in winter. So if it stays a little toasty in there, they might not be as happy. And presumably one answer to this issue with uh, light being filtered is, of course, uh, going back to your previous appearance on the show, the grow light, in that you can add in um, extra light to make up for that filtering yep. by adding some kind of grow light in, in a conservatory situation, which seems kind of counterintuitive that you're in a very, very bright, well-lit conservatory, but you might still need to add extra sources of light. Most of the time grow lights are necessary uh, inside uh, greenhouses and conservatories, uh, depending on the type of plants that you want to grow. So plants that require uh, more direct sunlight um, and more intense light, uh, you may find simply just don't get enough inside a greenhouse. I've actually done quite a few grow light installations inside uh, glass greenhouses that uh, the, the owner thought would get enough light just because it was a glass greenhouse. But as as it turns out, uh, you know, you're not going to get fruiting tomatoes in that glass greenhouse because there just wasn't enough light. Um, you know, interestingly enough, and, and the same goes for home windows. You know, you have all of these factors that occur with home windows. I have double pane windows. So I have two pieces of glass and then I have a screen on the outside of my window. So that really reduces a lot of the light that comes through. So sure, if you're struggling with uh, plants that appear to not be getting enough light, even inside a glass conservatory or greenhouse, there is always the option of providing some supplemental lighting, especially in the winter months when light volume drops dramatically anyway, and the day length shortens dramatically. So you just have less light in general available to the plants. Winter can be a good time to supplement some of that light with that, that light with grow lights artificially. Well, whatever you do, there's always some new challenge in growing plants in source, isn't there? This is what oh, we've got to get on top of. But that's that's really useful to know. And um, I'm sure that that will be helpful to Anne and many other listeners who are uh, growing their plants in uh, conservatories. I have a... a a, a sunroom which has a glass roof and i'm now wondering i'm sure it is certainly filtering out a lot of of light uh, a lot of types of light um yeah my grow light mission continues yes. i must get some grow lights yes, going yes and if you have readers with, that struggle with that you know sometimes plants that are too close to the glass you know can can scorch and so sometimes maybe moving them a few feet away from the glass helps if they're moderate to lower light loving plants you know so it really is like you said trial and error as gardening always is you you have to see what works for you in your particular situation and then make adjustments as you go indeed well leslie thank you so much for that and um as ever i'm sure we'll be have get back on the show for uh future dilemmas but that's great thank you so much yep. for your input today of course my pleasure on the ledge drop me a line to on the ledge podcast at gmail.com and i will do my damnedest to help you well that pretty much rounds up this week's show i'm off to london shortly for a bit of podcast related business you can't see this but i'm tapping my nose conspiratorially at this moment not very good for a podcast i know but anyway but for now i shall bid you farewell and i'll be back next week with another fun packed episode of on the ledge
music you heard in this week's episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, an instrument the boy called Happy Day Gakana by Samuel Corwin, and Oh Mallory by Josh Woodward, all licensed under Creative Commons. See my website for details. Thank you.